Welcome to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you have questions related to what you hear today, or just want to find out more about the ministries at First United Methodist Church, please visit us online at fumcbentonville.org, or check us out on Facebook, Instagram, or TikTok. Today we are going to talk about an historic divide and a current divide and what they share in common and how God shows up in the midst of all of that. So to get us in that frame of mind, we're going to hear first from Acts and then from 2 Timothy. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit all the brothers and sisters in every city where we preach the Lord's word. Let's see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John Mark with them. Paul insisted that they shouldn't take him along since he had deserted them in Pamphylia and hadn't continued with them in their work. Their argument became so intense that they went their separate ways. Barnabas took Mark and sailed to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and left, entrusted by the brothers and sisters of the Lord's grace. He traveled through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Paul reached Derby and then Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy. He was the son of a believing Jewish woman and a Greek father. The brothers and sisters in Lystra and Iconium spoke well of him. Paul wanted to take Timothy with him, so he circumcised him. This was because of the Jews who lived in those areas, for they all knew Timothy's father was Greek. As Paul and his companions traveled through the cities, they instructed Gentile believers to keep the regulations put in place by the apostles and elders in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and every day their numbers flourished. Do your best to come to me quickly. Demas has fallen in love with the present world and has deserted me and has gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus has gone to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you. He has been a big help to me in the ministry. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, open our hearts, our minds, and our eyes that we might see and know the word you have for us this day. In your holy name we pray. Amen. So how do you know if you're on the wrong side of history? Well, there was a time in my life when I absolutely knew I was on the wrong side of history. And that was when I was in 10th grade and on a team... Well, 10th grade in itself might be the wrong side of history, but um, <laughs> but I was in 10th grade and I was competing in Arkansas Model United Nations, and our school was assigned to be the delegation of South Africa, apartheid South Africa. And it was my job as head delegate to fight for the rights of South Africa to maintain its approach of apartheid. And the only way I knew to do it, the only way I knew to swing people onto our side was to go to each of the, especially the superpowers and say, hey, you know all that uranium you need for your nuclear program? Guess where it is? It's in my country. So you'll either leave us alone and let us abide with apartheid or you won't get any uranium. That was a very telling and instructive lesson for me about how international politics works, for one, but also to help me understand that maybe when your motivations have to be defended with greed and the preservation of power, 
then you may be on the wrong side of history. Now, we might also learn about where we stand in history if we look at the past and see if there are lessons that we might learn from the past so that we might not repeat them. After all, there is that famous expression, those who are ignorant of the past are doomed to repeat it. Except it seems to be true that even when we know about the past, we still repeat it. It's as if we never learn, right? And we are, in fact, repeating history in our own history right now as a church. So we're going to look at what created the divide that created the Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church South, and what is creating the divide into the United Methodist Church and the Global Methodist Church now. And as I've researched both of those, it's striking how many similarities there are between both moments in history. First of all, one of the defining breaking points in both situations was a controversy in the episcopacy. In the 1800s, it was because Bishop Andrew was elected and he owned slaves. And in our time, it is with the election of Bishop Oliveto, who is an identified and practicing married lesbian woman elected bishop. And in both of those cases, there were pieces of the church that absolutely could not abide by having a bishop representing those realities. In both cases, there is a division into two sides, and both sides insist that they are the true Methodism. And it is particularly true among those who want to leave the church that they will then mischaracterize those who are wishing to stay deeply mischaracterizing our theology, some basic core beliefs of our theology, like whether we believe in Jesus or not. In both cases, General Conference came up with an amicable separation plan in which churches that wanted to leave could take their property with them as long as they paid a certain amount to the denomination that they were leaving. Despite that amicable separation, legal fights broke out anyway. Also, in both times, the division of the church mirrored the wider rise of violence and division and hate in the nation. In both cases, more churches in the south left than in the north. And at its heart, the conflict arose as we turned away from initial stances that involved care for the vulnerable and the exploited. The Methodist Church began with a strong anti-slavery stance. But as we gathered more and more people in, that stance became diluted. And when the United Methodist Church was formed in 1968, it did not have any condemning language around human sexuality. In fact, we had a pretty inclusive understanding of human sexuality at the time. That changed in 1972. What we see in these divides is a inherent tension in our faith that goes all the way back. A tension between acceptance and accountability. And we see this tension in the passages that I just read about Paul and Barnabas. So if we look at what's going on, Paul is very good at raising up leaders. But I don't know if you gathered, even from the two passages that I read, it's a little hard to get along with, that Paul. He holds people to standards that he even can't meet. And he's a bit abrasive 
in his presentation. Whereas Barnabas's name means encourager. Barnabas does not give up on people. Barnabas didn't give up on Paul when everyone else said he should. And Barnabas is not willing to give up on John Mark either. But John Mark has failed Paul one too many times, which apparently is one time uh, for Paul. <laughs> and yet for Barnabas, the potential, the possibility in John Mark's life is worth fighting for And eventually it is worth dividing over, which is what they do. What is captured in this tension between acceptance and accountability is also captured in the inherent irony that is in Methodism. Our highest value is that God's grace and love is open and available to all. And as as grace and love is open and available to all, the church should also be living into that reality and should be open and available to all. We celebrate it every week in the open table when we tell you there is absolutely no reason for you to be denied here. You are all welcome at this table. But we also see it even in the tradition of our circuit riders. Circuit riders took up John Wesley's passion for being out in the fields and in the coal mines and preaching to whoever could hear, the the circuit riders just broke out. There were no limits. They didn't have to wait for a church to be established. They were the church. They sat on the back of horses and rode out, and anybody they could find that they could share the gospel with, that they could share God's message of love, they were going to share it with. Some of you saw, I posted on Facebook, as I was reading through this, I came across an article from 1865 that was talking about how prevalent the circuit riders were, how they were everywhere. So much so that a man had gone way out into the frontier, started to unpack his bags. Another man rides up. The man looks at him, recognizes his attire and says, a Methodist preacher? I left Virginia to get away from you Methodist preachers. I went down to Georgia and thought I was safe there, and then you got my wife and my daughter into the church, and now I've fled all the way out here to Choctaw County in the hopes that I was through with y'all, and I have not even unpacked my wagon, and one of you is right next to me. And the Methodist circuit rider, whose name was Nolly, said, well, my friend, if you go to heaven, you're going to find Methodist preachers there. If you go to hell, you're also going to find us there. And you see how it is in this place. So you best make your peace with us and go about your day, right? But it, but I love that response that Methodist preachers were going to be everywhere. Heaven and hell and everywhere in between. Because everyone should hear the gospel. Everyone should know themselves loved. On that we stand, on that same tradition in our all our welcome perspective in this church. But when we say all are welcome, that means we include space for people who would not welcome. Those who would say that there are limits. Those who would say that there are exclusions. Those who would set up those marks of accountability. And there's nothing really wrong in accountability. There is value in discipline. As long as we remember who the true judge is. And it is not us. But the reality is being a church in which all are welcome, even those who would say there are limits to welcome, is that eventually you reach a tipping point. Eventually you reach a point where you have enough people who would put limits on that welcome that decisions have to be made. There's eventually going to be a break between the encouragers and the standard bearers. 
Until we reach the fullness of the reign of God, it is going to be a reality of who we are. But the good news is that the story does not end there. Paul and Barnabas did split up, but it doubled the reach of the mission and strengthened the churches. And it raised up more leaders and grew existing leaders. John Mark, tradition holds that that is Mark who wrote the gospel that carries his name. Can you imagine if they had just given up on him at that point? But he got under the wings of the encourager, and now we are all encouraged by Mark's words. And eventually, Paul and Barnabas and Paul and Mark reconciled. That's what we heard. We also heard that Paul was mad at a bunch of other people, too. But he had brought Mark back into his heart and recognized the value that Mark had brought to the mission. In the Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church South, the division did allow Methodism to continue. It maintained and even, in some ways, increased the reach of Methodism. There were two Methodist churches in this town. This one was the Methodist Episcopal Church South. Let us always remember that and maintain our humility. And on the other side of town, there was a Methodist Episcopal Church North. There was space in the midst of a nation deeply divided. Methodism was able to be present in the mess of our own nation's division and provide space for redemption. God did not abandon anyone in the midst of that. Anyone. Even those who would abandon others, God did not abandon them. God said, I still have place for you. I still have love for you. I have redemption for you. And I have reconciliation for you. And eventually that division was healed in 1939. The Methodist Episcopal Church and the Methodist Episcopal Church South and the Methodist Protestant Church united to become the Methodist Church which later in 1968 with the Evangelical United Brethren became the United Methodist Church. There's always, always, even in our darkest moments, there is room for God's love to work. And I turn back even to my understanding and the experience of South Africa. It was right as F.W. de Klerk was getting elected that I was the head delegate for South Africa. And de Klerk was elected with the understanding that he would maintain apartheid, and yet he did not. He turned and set Nelson Mandela free and helped with the transition government that dismantled apartheid. And then Mandela as president and Desmond Tutu formed the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which is a model for the entire world on how you take division and heal it. It does not matter what division we create. God makes a path for healing within it. So as we have been anxious about what happens to our denomination, I am not. Because God is still in this. And God will work miracles through it. So as we face our own division, let's stand on that promise that God will not abandon any of us And where there is brokenness, we should work for healing. Because I will tell you this, my friends, God already is working towards that healing. When we see the brokenness before us, let us always remember, 
as we remember every Sunday we come to this table and face the brokenness, we also see the life on the other side of it. God has not given up, my friends, so neither should we. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church in downtown Bentonville. If you would like to let us know you were here, follow the link below to connect. To participate in worship through giving, you can give online at fumcbentonville.org or on Venmo at fumcbentonville. FUMC Bentonville welcomes all. Because we believe the communion table is God's table, we invite everyone into our church family. We welcome and celebrate every race, gender, gender identity, sexual orientation, marital status, age, physical and mental ability, national origin, economic station, and political ideology. We come together in action and outreach, aspiring to follow Jesus' example of radical hospitality, love, and grace as a transformative movement in our community. Please join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m., both in person and on Facebook Live. All are welcome, and we'd love to have you with us. Grace and peace.